Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today, we've got a recognized A-lister in the blockchain community. She's a best-selling author, a Forbes contributor, advisor to Fortune 500 companies and startups, a TEDx speaker, and she holds degrees in both psychology and organizational behavior from Stanford University. Alison McCauley, welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be here. And today we're going to tackle two really important topics. Firstly, why are executives struggling with blockchain adoption? And secondly, are we really in a trough of disillusionment? Or does that phrase present a biased picture of where we really are in terms of the maturity of this technology? And Alison, I know you've worked significantly in the space of change management. You've helped organizations to get blockchain projects up and running, small and large alike. Why are executives struggling with this technology? So I think it's really important to keep in mind that this happens with every new technology. So I've been working in emerging tech for 20 years. When I came out of graduate school, the early stages of the dot-com boom were just about to happen. And so I've seen many waves and this is very normal to struggle with adoption. Pioneers and entrepreneurs have a pretty formidable challenge because it's harder in this technology for a couple of reasons. One thing that's really important to keep in mind is there's this hangover from a really crazy hype cycle that we are going through. And so people come into it with a lot of preconceptions and a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions. And that's really difficult to navigate. Another thing to think about is the fact that this is a team sport. It's an ecosystem play. It's not just changing one organization. It's changing multiple organizations simultaneously. And so there's a whole area of work to be done in that respect as well. Blockchain is a technology. What it enables is really a new business construct. So we're having to understand how to work in a new way. And this is not what, say, a typical MBA has learned in business school. It's really pushing cooperation over competition. And so it's a whole new way of working, and that's really hard. So there's a bunch of headwinds for the space. Got you. And I really like the term hype hangover because I feel that in every conversation I go into talking about blockchain or even the use of the term blockchain immediately polarizes your audience. Either either going to open up wide and say, tell me more, or someone's going to be, I've heard this all before. I don't need to hear it again. Why do you think blockchain was particularly hyped up? And is this comparable with artificial intelligence or quantum computing or cloud? It feels like it was a different level this time. Yeah, it was. Usually when a technology is being spoken, when people talk about it at, say, cocktail parties or dinner parties, it's usually well broken out of the fringe. It's it's something that has broken into the mainstream. Yet really early on, this was a really sexy and exciting topic because of money, because of what was happening with Bitcoin. All of a sudden, that became the conversation. And even though in such early stages when things were still clunky and, and raw and, and difficult, 
it would be discussed among a group of people that understood more about the technology. Instead, there were a lot of people who didn't understand anything about the technology that were holding conversations about this and the press, the headlines. And so I'd like to say that it was being talked about because of a belief system and understanding of what the technology could do, but it was driven by money. And so that created this really big hype cycle where there was this huge increase in awareness of this thing, but not a lot of understanding about what that thing actually meant. I think you've hit a really interesting point there, and it's society's slightly perverse relationship with money and our ability to profit from technology. I don't remember any dinner parties or cocktail parties recently that I've been to where everybody was talking about cloud computing. Um, Maybe I'm going to the wrong dinner parties, but there's less of a direct, obvious link between my engagement with the cloud and my ability to personally profit from it. Dot-com boom, internet shopping, cryptocurrency, speculative investment, you can see it being there. So maybe there's the underlying human ambition to succeed or to profit from innovation that is what's driven this particular hype cycle specifically to blockchain. I don't want to spend too much time there because I think the crypto relationship between blockchain and enterprise is something that I'm really trying to separate the more we talk about it. How do we make blockchain more accessible to executives? I think we need to understand the mindset of the executive. Think about the charter of an executive. Their charter is often not to jump into new technology that has no clear best practices, doesn't yet have demonstrable ROI across a broad set of use cases. It's risky and it's amplified because it's not just one executive that you need to get educated on this. You need to think about the mindset of the people they would need to convince internally. So it really takes a very special kind of champion, a a change agent that can really be the first person in an organization that is pushing this forward. It doesn't have to be the person at the top, but they need to be able to have a clear vision and they need to be able to communicate that with others. And they have to be patient and they have to be persistent and they have to be respected and trusted and knowledgeable. And so it's a very high bar for the people that will really bring this forward. First of all, they need to understand this technology and what it makes possible. It's subject matter experts across the organization that really need to understand it. I mean, this is a technology that reaches deep into the recesses of an organization. So it's very important to take that time. And often inside the community, we don't really have the patience for that because we know what it does and we know what it makes possible. And it can be frustrating when somebody doesn't see like we do. So that's a really important thing to get right. And they not only have to understand it, but they've got to want it. So you almost think about this as a campaign, almost like a marketing campaign to help them understand some of the principles for marketing about repetition, inspiration. Those are really important. But I need to emphasize that when I say marketing campaign, it's not fluff. It's about being authentic and real. So really making sure that we're talking about what this actually can do. The other thing is tying things to what we call a burning platform. My first job was working with one of the first groups that was doing something new at the time called change management, which is the practice of managing change with intent. We would always be asking as we went into these huge change projects, what is the burning platform? People are very resistant to change. It's very hard for them. So the pain and the risk of the present 
needs to be big enough to actually motivate change and the risk and the pain that comes with change. It's always risky. It's always hard. They have to have a reason. And that term came to play in reference to uh, an actual oil rig fire that was in the late 80s. And there were workers on the platform that realized as this fire was raging that the only way that they had a chance of surviving was to jump into the water, which is super dangerous because it was cold, hyperthermia was an issue, it was really far up, but they were on a burning platform. They had to jump. And it wasn't clear that that was a good move, but the burning platform is about clarity that the status quo is the wrong move. So we need to be uh, better about helping you paint a picture of a new possible and also creating that imperative, that urgency for change, for change behavior. And that's one of the reasons why some areas have more of a burning platform than others. And those are the ones where we're going to see change happen first. Got you. And I really like the idea of presenting a marketing campaign, albeit an objective one. My experience is that executives typically have one of three things drive them. Growth or advancement, profit, improving the balance sheet. It's reduction in risk helping make their business more stable, less risky. Or the third thing might be eminence, to become famous, to get recognition for the work that they do. And you could see that digital transformation and blockchain technology can apply to all three of those in terms of new business models or helping to make a business more profitable, to reduce risk, to improve trust. And the third one, if you're a pioneer in a space, eminence is naturally going to follow. And it's about being able to craft that message based on which of those three drivers you think is most relevant to your business and to the stakeholders who need to make those choices. You wrote an article in Forbes not long ago where you talked about having a very clear marketing plan in and around blockchain and emerging technology, but being ready to pivot. And I think one of the interesting things around blockchain technology in the past two to three years is that the use cases and the applications have moved very, very quickly. We started with a killer app around financial services and payments, and now we see it proliferating across more or less every industry. Tell us a little bit more about how you flex that narrative and how that relates to blockchain. So right now, the burning platform is really important because there is not a clear set of best practices or a clear path that we all can follow. There's a lot of risk still involved. And so the people that are pushing this forward, they may need to have the burning platform now. But how do we evolve over time? So if we look at technologies that are more mature, there are are not always burning platforms. We're going to be able to get to the point where there are a lot of best practices. There's a lot of more off-the-shelf or turnkey solutions and support and infrastructure to be able to execute well. And that's when we're going to be able to make change in some of the areas that don't have as much urgency. Alison, I love the idea of the burning platform. And Oftentimes, traditionally, it was a burning platform for a company individually. But what I've learned from working in blockchain is that sometimes that burning platform can be industry-wide or it can be value chain-wide. And as a result, it's not just that it's a problem for you, it's a problem for the industry more broadly. And then you've got to try and influence executives or help executives to understand that working together is the only way of being able to address that burning platform, that taking small chunks out of it or taking small chunks out of that problem company by company, is actually a very inefficient way of addressing the problem, whereas working together might be. What can we learn from behavioral psychology and change management that can help bring those parties together, that can help address an industry-wide burning platform? 
Yeah, it's such an important question. And it's often underestimated. There's a lot of psychology and fear in these decisions to move forward. It's very scary to change the way you're working. You're getting in a room, you have to agree on standards. These are really hard things like data sharing and governance and even how things are funded. And there are really no strong established paths right now. So it's really pioneering work. And I think the key thing to remember is that this takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time and it works a lot slower than people that are deeply in the industry want it to happen. It's not the technology. The technology can be the easier problem than the human piece. And you see this again and again. We can look at another field just to see. Look at HBR last year. I think it was August of last year, had a cover story on the AI-powered organization. And the cover said, you know, the main, the main challenge isn't the technology, it's the culture. And it was talking to how, yes, AI is reshaping business, but it's not happening nearly as fast as it could, or many assume or wish for it to happen. And there was a survey that they did where they found that only 8% of firms that were actually engaging in some of the core practices to support the adoption of AI and advanced analytics most were only running ad hoc pilot or applying AI in just a, a single business process. Think about it. The field of AI was formally established in the late 50s. We've had a lot of time to work on this. It's really easy to get frustrated and um, throw up your hands and say, this isn't working. And that's also, by the way, where a lot of the trough of disillusionment comes from. We had a huge hype cycle, right? And that trough of disillusionment is commensurate <laughs> with how hypey it begins. So we need to be prepared for that. And as we're going through the difficult cycle, we need to be extremely diligent in over-communicating, over-educating supportive structures to help people understand, to help them change. In the industry, we need to share our best practices. We need to work together to really make sure that cross industries, we're learning from each other. This needs a long-term view. It requires an incredible amount of patience, an incredible amount of diligence. That's a really good perspective. And I love using AI as the analogy because in the peak of the AI hype, obviously it's really interesting that the technology has been around for 70 years or so, and we're starting to get to the emergent applications for it. That's been a very, very long curve. But in and around artificial intelligence, we were fearing that robots would take our jobs. There were Hollywood film after Hollywood film where AI was one of the core themes. I don't know how many crypto and blockchain movies we've had so far, but I'm pretty sure AI is winning by a long stretch in terms of the amount of public <laughs> hype that we've seen. So it was a very long fall from grace down into that trough. Let's compare the trough of blockchain now then. I don't think it's necessarily fair to present that as a blanket trough across all sectors, across all use cases, across all areas. How do you see the emergence from the hype cycle for blockchain? Are we in a blanket trough of disillusionment? Or actually, are we a lot further down the road in terms of implementation and acceleration than most people perceive? Okay, so this is where the nuance comes in. So Gartner came up with a hike cycle. It shows the predictable pattern of adoption. So what happens is when a technology is new, everyone gets super excited about it and thinks that it's going to solve all of our problems. So expectations skyrocket. And then we understand how hard that actually is to do. 
and the challenge of actually making that happen, then expectations and mood can plummet into what we call the trough of disillusionment. And then over time, as we learn to use the technology, we slowly get to this moment of equilibrium where the expectations are in line with what the technology can actually do. So that's where we want to go. You know, all the, the craziness of the hype and all the pain of this trough of disillusionment are actually part of the process and the journey we all need to go through with emerging tech. And it is absolutely predictable. So what's interesting is cryptocurrency and blockchain technology got mixed up in that hype cycle. And so they were kind of intertwined at the beginning in terms of skyrocketing expectations. And a lot of people, I know because I travel all over the world, speak to executives who are new to this, is still people don't understand exactly what the difference or how they're used or they just don't understand it yet. And so there's a lot of confusion. And if we're in the space, we know that there's a lot of nuance between, say, trade finance difference in how it's used in trade finance versus consumer apps, right? I'd like to see somebody map out a hundred different hype cycles and where we are based on all these different kinds of applications on how it's being used. We could debate, that would be really interesting and we could debate those, you know, for days and days, but In a way, it almost doesn't matter because the reason that the hype cycle is important to understand and the takeaway is really for our own understanding of where we are. It's a good frame of reference to know this is just the trough of disillusionment. This is why it's it's so hard right now. And there's something on the other side. Got you. And so it's the intersection of what the technology is able to do and then individuals' expectations or societal expectations or executive expectations on what they'd like it to do and how closely those two things come together. Exactly. And for blockchain, because of the fact that you change is really, really hard. This is the Olympics of change to get multiple organizations aligned on standards and moving forward in a new way of working and a cooperative way of working all at once that's going to take a while. And so this is a space where we need to have a lot of patience. We need to be uh, brave in the face of headwinds. Obviously, the historical marketing or eminence or TED Talks or content related to blockchain will be impacting people's expectations to a degree. What are some of the other external factors that come to play in terms of people's expectations of where or how the technology can be used? This is such an interesting question. Let's look at when the web became a thing. All of a sudden, businesses started to understand, oh, maybe I need to go online. And there were many that were skeptical and didn't really realize or they put up a a marketing site, but not a functional site that did stuff in the early stages. And it took a long time for the culture change to kick in where there were enough businesses that became more and more online focused and even to the point of being online centric, so many are today, it created cultural pressure for change. It is hard for people to remember how long that took, how many bumps there were along the way. But if we project out what kind of cultural change will blockchain trigger, it's really interesting. And what's fascinating is the fact that there's a lot of these shifts are areas where we were already headed before we saw blockchain become more widely used, before the technology was even known. And so one area that's really interesting is transparency. So 
um, we are right now, and this has been building over over the last few decades, that trust is in a crisis. There's actually a group that does a study every year, thousands of people around the globe to actually test trust. They call it the trust barometer. This is from Edelman. And our a worldwide trust has experienced an absolute crash <laughs> over the past few years. What's fascinating is that blockchain technology and the transparency and the visibility that it gives you can match up really perfectly with that pain that's in our culture right now. It can help to address that. So what we're going to see is we're going to see leaders, leading brands and organizations that are willing to take on the challenge and the risk of being pioneers in this technology that are using this with others in their ecosystem to answer this cultural desire, this cultural need. They're going to be the ones who set the new bar. So moving online, there were, a few, there were a few leaders who really set the new bar, and then everyone else had to line up in behind that new, higher standard. We're going to see that in transparency over time. And so it's really important that organizations learn about it now because it will take a long time for them to be able to become savvy in this technology and how to use it to deliver to a increased customer expectation. We see the same thing in terms of if we look at how the technology can disintermediate and put pressure on middlemen. I really do believe that middlemen will not go away. We love middlemen. Middlemen move things from low value settings to high value settings, and we are willing to pay for that. Yet, they're going to put more pressure on middlemen. And the middlemen that succeed are going to be those that are better and better at delivering more value. Over time, as alternates become available and leaders are using this technology to deliver more value to customers, then that again will set a higher bar. And you know, we've seen this. You can look at, I love looking at Warby Parker and how Warby Parker has changed by taking out middlemen. Warby Parker has changed the way we buy glasses. So I used to have to go to a special store and an optometrist to buy glasses that cost me several hundred dollars, prescription glasses. And now Warby Parker has exposed us all to more about the cost structure for glasses because we can get wonderful frames for um, less than $100. And not only that, not only are they cutting costs, but they're giving us more value. They're able to use the technology tools they have to do things like home try-ons and all these other things. We see this in mattresses. The mattress industry has changed because of Casper. So we're going to see this in more. I mean, this is something that's been happening anyway. Blockchain gives leaders new tools to be able to meet increasing customer desire for more. And there's probably one more particularly timely example, which is around privacy. And I've seen the word decentralized mm -hmm. or decentralization being used an awful lot more in relation to the current COVID pandemic and people's responses to getting back to work and particularly proximity tracing. Yeah, this is an area where it's been very painful to, that we're not further along because there's so much utility in our world today where we need the power of what blockchain has for privacy and, and data privacy. So contact tracing, there are certainly projects that are looking at using blockchain technology. A, another thing to think about is that contact tracing applications have pretty low use. 
And so how could we use blockchain-driven incentive models to not only protect data, but to incent the use of contact tracing apps? We're not there yet, but it'd be wonderful to be able to, I mean, this is just a theme of how we could use the technology to evolve our digital infrastructure to be able to deal with black swan events like pandemics. I'd love to see more machine-to-machine collaboration in today's environment to help us enable a more contactless way of transacting that is supported by blockchain. We're a long way off from being able to vote with this technology in the U.S., but you know that's another area. So there's just a lot that could be done. And um, unfortunately, I strongly believe this will not be our last pandemic. You know, perhaps this technology will be further along and be able to better support us for the next one. And we're starting to get into some of the case studies or some of the areas that you start seeing the potential of the technology. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, obviously in anonymized form, for some of your experience in working with blockchain and, and helping some of the companies and startups you work with. I wonder, could you take us through a couple of examples of projects where blockchain is a great fit and where you see strong potential for its use? So where I'm, I'm most excited is about using the tools in blockchain technology to support our ability to collaborate and coordinate together across our differences to fight really big problems. And so I see some really interesting stuff happening with decentralized autonomous organizations, the ability to use the technology to verify reduction in carbon emissions highly fragmented industry. So to be able to come up with a way to build a market around that. Those are some of the many, many areas where I think we'll find great change. And I also think that it's going to be really interesting to see how we can use this technology to better monetize our skills and experience that we have, especially in an environment like we have today, where we need to be able to use smaller increments of economic value. We need to be able to exchange those more fluidly with more liquidity among a wide range of players. This is what blockchain is good at. And so that's an area where I'm really excited about where this will go. And again, this is not our last major disruption to the global economy. We're going to see more as we enter a phase in an era where there's even more stressors and stressors spread globally. We are more interconnected than ever before. We need to be able to collaborate and work together better than, than ever. And there are secrets in this technology to help us do that. That's where I'm most excited about. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I know you were starting to slow yourself down to make sure that you didn't divulge any of the top secret stuff you're working on. So sorry to have to ask you for that one, but I appreciate that confidentiality is super important. I want to double click really quickly on distributed autonomous organizations because it's something that some people may not have had experience of or it's something we definitely haven't spoken about on this show before. Could you give us the one or two minute version of what's your view of a DAO? And what do you see in the value there? What I'm most excited about is the fact that we'll have a way to verify credentials, experience, reputation of a worker and verify the work that they're doing 
and compensate them for that work. And so you can imagine that this could be applied to a project for profit. This could be applied to a massive initiative for for change. How can we work together to, to fight climate change? It's basically this this structure where we can, without a a central organization, we can collaborate to make things happen. That's where I'm really excited about. And one area that you didn't mention, and I know that you wrote about this recently, is the topic of higher education. And obviously, credentials is part of the story there, distributed learning, content management, intellectual property, and so on. Tell us a little bit more about your view on how you see the future of higher education enabled by blockchain. So the traditional way that we're learning with a four-year degree is not agile enough for the world of today and tomorrow. We need to be able to reskill and learn in smaller increments and have that be verifiable, auditable, that I've done that. I've taken that course. I've taken that line of study. We need a more flexible wrapper and credential around that learning than a four-year degree. And that could very well augment a four-year degree, but we really need a way to do lifelong learning. And what's frustrating is that the learning has advanced. We have all these incredible resources and what's happening today with a massive move to online learning will certainly help to perpetuate this. There's a lot of great online learning available, but we don't have a really great way to credential that. So if you're an employer, and you're trying to verify if somebody has actually gotten the, the education that they say they had, it's hard enough to do that with a four-year degree. So how are you going to do that with smaller increments of learning? So I'm really optimistic about blockchain's ability to micro-credential and how that could support a shift to more agile higher education and ability to reskill workforces to move more in concert with the needs of a society for different kinds of work this is an area that i think is very essential to our future and i'd like to see a lot more energy put into this what's really important is that the uh, standards and the agreement for this infrastructure needs to be put in place before displacement happens before a a stressor happens our environment because you can't retain and capture that credential unless you have the infrastructure in place. And what we're already seeing right now is actually higher ed has been under financial stress for some time and this is increasing the stress on it. So we're starting to see colleges go under more and more. So what happens to the students that made these massive investments of their time and money into this? What happens to the credential over 10, 20 years? We need something that is, is more permanent. It has more permanence. And so this is an area I think is absolutely imperative for our future. Totally agree. And the more we spend time remote working, This is probably now the realization of the teleworking phenomenon that was predicted in the late 90s that took, by the looks of Mm -hmm. of things, about 25 years to surface, but for very, very different reasons. We didn't opt into this. It was given to us. But like you said, it surfaces the requirement for verifying and being able to work remotely. It opens up the flexibility of being able to source talent from lots of different places. Obviously, you have to credentialize and you have to set the bar somewhere. And it's going to be maybe less likely that you're going to be doing face-to-face interviews or being able to vet particular candidates in a way that you might traditionally have done. But this sort of capability, micro-credentials, certification, and an ability to share data that is trusted could enable that for sure. 
I want to ask a bonus round question now before we get into your views on the future. An article that you also wrote recently, you stated that some executives do see cryptocurrency as a potential business tool. Now, that's a very, very broad spectrum. So I'm going to widen the aperture a little bit more than Bitcoin, because in reality, cryptocurrency or token based structures using tokens for settlement and reconciliation is actually a pretty broad church. What was some of the feedback that you got from the executives you spoke to when you wrote that article? And do you see a place for crypto and enterprise? Yes, although the jury's still out. Obviously, our business world is most comfortable with fiat, and there are a lot of reasons for that. And there's a lot of work in stable coins, so we're going to see where that goes. But what is most interesting is the promise of programmable money. So basically being able to merge operations with finance. That is really interesting to an organization. So you know, when we see things like using tokens for real-time settlement and such, I, that's going to be where things get really interesting. Programmable money has a lot of functionality that the business can use to evolve. I, I think it's going to be a long journey, but that's a pretty compelling feature set. And you use the word feature set there, which I think is really important. This is not saying cryptocurrency is a thing, you must all adopt it. What we're saying is that there are some capabilities that are available there to help us do the jobs that we've always been trying to do, or to reimagine the way that we think about settlement and reconciliation, or the way that we think about loyalty management. Maybe it's not that sexy, but actually the concept of programmable money or tokens can give you something that you didn't have before and take away a lot of the pain that exists and open up the opportunity to new ways of working. So. It's validating to hear that that's something that people do and are starting to see. And I actually think that's something to emphasize that this isn't particularly sexy, but I think especially now it's really important to celebrate the mundane. There is beauty in the mundane usefulness. It, we're all excited about future use cases that will have dramatic shifts on lives. Um, it's really important to understand that some of the most important stuff can happen in a quiet way behind the scenes and, and drive impact. So let's celebrate mundane usefulness. <laughs> I want a t-shirt that says that because sometimes I feel that that's what I'm doing <laughs> as my day job. I am providing mundane usefulness. And yes, I would like to be celebrated for it. And I think blockchain does get overhyped. And I think a lot of what's gone before doesn't help in trying to do the mundane useful tasks where the digital capabilities of distributed ledgers are entirely useful. You know, like going back to the Hollywood example, you've seen movies where AI has been hyped up to the point where you've got robots making decisions, robot armies, cars driving themselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And some of that is manifesting. But at the other end of the spectrum, some of the early applications were chatbots to help you figure out where you are on a website. That's still artificial intelligence or learning algorithms. It's just being applied in a particularly mundane way. Likewise, blockchain is an infrastructure layer. It's about data management, data movement. And try as you will make a movie out of that. It is still beautiful, but yet mundane. Yeah. Last round of questions, and I'd love to get your perspective on what's next. If you were to look at the capabilities and the use cases around blockchain, which ones do you see are the most transformative? Which ones do you think have the most value to offer? And finally, which is the one that you're the most passionate to see progress? So along the lines of what we were just talking about, when you talk about most transformative, I almost hope we haven't seen it yet. In the early days of the web, so when we were sitting there in 1994, we couldn't really imagine where it would go because we didn't have the mindset for it. We didn't have the framing for it. 
And my guess is that the most transformative stuff is going to come out of a really interesting mashup of technology. So maybe it's AR and blockchain, or maybe it's IoT and blockchain. Who knows what it is, but I'm hoping that the innovators in the space are going to take these tools and do something important that we, we can't even picture right now. And then you asked about most value creating use. I think really around using small units of value, enabling small units of value to be used effectively in the economy. I think that is, that's a very broad way to say it, but there's so many different applications across spaces that can leverage that and will be able to make change that's important. When I look at ultimately what blockchain can do, it really makes it cheaper, easier, and faster to, to safely exchange value. And so when we can do that cost-effectively for smaller and smaller bits of value, that's when we're going to see some really interesting new business models. So that's, I think, where we'll see the most, most value. And that's where I'm really excited about new business models. You also asked about what I'm most passionate to see advanced. And this is where we're going back to what we were talking about earlier about mundane usefulness. So I actually want to see some of the spaces that have some wonderful forward momentum. So I'd like to see, there's so much progress in um, food safety. There's progress in you know medical supply chains. I want to see that rolled out more broadly. I want to see that take hold across a broader set of the ecosystem. I want to see the feature set the functionality become more visible to the consumer. Doesn't matter if they know that it's blockchain, but I want them to see how it impacts their lives because that's when we're going to start really understanding how to use that technology, learnings that can be taken across across into other industries. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I'm most passionate about is slow, steady progress towards important change. That's a great way to round off. And Alison, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom. I know you do a lot more in the community and in the market than you're allowed to talk about today. And we've talked about that off show and I know we can't delve into it in too much detail, but the refined wisdom and some of the wonderful t-shirtable slogans that I've heard today will stick with me for a long time. So thank you very much for that. As we close, how can people find out more about what you're doing and what else have you got going on in your life? So you can follow me on Twitter at Unblocked Future. Uh, or on LinkedIn slash unblocked. And as we're recording, I'm sitting here with two dogs that I have adopted from the shelter. And so that's what's keeping me busy along with my kids when I'm not working in emerging tech. Fantastic. As if you didn't already have enough on your plate, the dogs have been very well behaved throughout the show. They've been absolutely silent. So kudos to them for keeping keeping the good, de- good degree of decorum and helping us to run this episode. Thank you very much again, Alison. Have a great rest of your week and stay safe out there. You too. Thanks so much. It was great talking with you. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.